to be honest, I can't really think of a so-called any any money myth to my head. So maybe I'll just elaborate more on what MJ you just mentioned in terms of the uh, buying a house by age of 30. So I believe uh, those are so-called statements that originate from a different era uh, in, in at different times and so on. So I mean, with uh, globalization and so on, of course, uh, COVID is a bummer. But if let's say COVID will not to have had happened, I mean, you can basically just hop on the plane and then you can just fly anywhere in the world. So a house actually ties you down in this age of globalization and also having had the uh, privilege of staying in the UK as well. So I also had the chance to visit a lot of European countries during the summer. So uh, you actually see that this world is actually very big. So buying a house, just tying you by age 30, it, by 30 years old is a very young age. I mean, you, ha- you still have a, your whole life in front of you. Maybe you could just decide to go to work in Singapore. You could just decide to go to work in any countries you want. So I think, yeah, first, so the, buying a house by 30, uh, I think it might not be that relevant in this age anymore. So anyway. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody back to the Fire Podcast, best place for long-term stock investing. Today is, well, as usual, we have special guests, but today is also a very special day for us because it's the very first time we're getting two people on, right? And um, I can't wait to learn more about these two individuals and to give some context, we, we have actually never met each other, but we got into contact in some sense through a platform stock bit, right? Our good friend Rondi runs the place. Um, uh, actually, I don't know whether he will say that he runs the place, uh, but certainly <laughs> he is one of the most followed person there. And he, you know, he, stock bit is Rondi, uh, right guys? Rondi is stock bit. Hey, we had a point of the podcast uh, uh, to Rondi. Uh, we have we going to have it in the link on the top right. So, hey, top right is yeah. here. Here. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. so basically, um, you know, today we have two engineers. Now, the reason we are bringing two engineers on is because one, we found that when they were presenting on Stockbit, uh, they were presenting very comprehensive on the semiconductor space. And the most important is that they sourced us, they use us as a reference. So there's an automatic invite into our <laughs> podcast. Right, so welcome to the podcast, uh, Asher. And uh, you know, I, I, how how do you want me to call you? Uh, is it Wikai? Is that is that the correct one? Yeah, you can call me Wikai. Wikai, okay, all right. Welcome, Asher and Wikai, to the podcast. So, you know, we always uh want to begin uh with your story, right? And we want to know before investing before any of this how do you what were you like when you were younger 
Maybe we start with uh, a uh, Wikai first. Okay. Actually, it's on my script also. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I started saving pretty young. I think uh, it's uh, on uh, primary school. So, at that time, um, my parents give me uh, pocket money. So, I remember that... Uh, Always my pocket is full of the shilling inside my Pokemon uh, Ash Ketchum uh, wallet. So it's full of shilling. And then I can see my, my pocket is basically uh, bulking, uh, bloated. Uh. So that's my uh, first stage of uh, saving. Start from uh, primary school. I, I basically uh, start from there. Uh. Then later on, I have a few more things to do. So, continue <laughs> maybe maybe describe yourself as uh, not not so much from the money angle but probably from a student angle were you more of a introvert or an extrovert were you more um, uh, how would I say uh, were you very gung-ho to earn a lot of money or you just wanted to follow your parents advice on Get a get a good piece of education, get a degree, and what was it like? And, and what inspired you to be an engineer? And then I'm coming to you, Asher. So prepare, be prepared. Alright. <laughs> yeah. What inspired me to be an engineer? For to be honest, I don't think my first. Uh, how do you call it? Uh, the 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 occupation I want to be is I think from start thing I want to be a pilot. Ah. Okay. Yeah, that's where uh, pilots come in place. Then later on, it become something else, lah. So, in the end, why is it become engineer? Is because my mom is actually a. Uh, she's already uh, can say a pioneer in uh, probably the plating side, or something else. She's already probably close more than twenty years of experience in the, in the back end side. So. You can say that she has the biggest influence on me on becoming an engineer. Okay, I see, I see. And was she, was your dad or mum probing you to go into that direction in a way? No, was... they, they don't like. Actually, my sister also in the end become an engineer, chemical engineer, chemical engineer. So basically, we are a family of engineer. But my dad is a. He stopped being an engineer and uh, worked outside. Uh, so three of us are still as an uh, engineer to now. So they are actually, they don't expect me to become an engineer also because they know that the semiconductor industry is actually a very cyclical uh, industry and and they have taste the, the cycle whereby they, they, they come down. So they know the pain of uh, being engineer, the 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 budget rate, all these things. They they already taste it lah. So I see. So they 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 don't want their children to go and experience this cycle. So, but very lucky is that when I when me and Asher came in into this uh, cycle, we are actually on a very boom cycle on a semiconductor. Lah. So I'm actually quite. Uh, lucky in sense and, and quite 
how do I say, uh, look forward on this uh, industry, but I can say that I won't work for the rest of the time, uh, rest of my life, like this, that that's why I go into investing, right? So uh, it's a good start for me, I would say, as an engineer. So we will we'll talk about the rest of your life later on, but I want to go to Asher right now. And, uh, you know, what what were you like, you know, when you were younger and how did you come to become an engineer and an investor? Oh, okay. All right. So when I was young, I was quite uh, introvert, you could say. Um, I most of, my, most of the time usually spend, I mean, not really studying that I still like uh, playing basketball with friends and so on, but definitely more on the introvert side. Uh, and then in terms of how I aspire to become an engineer, so um, it might seem a bit weird, but uh, I did not really aspire to be an engineer, uh, similar to like what we kind of mentioned. So um, I had actually a master's degree in chemical engineering from the University of Manchester. So I was uh, lucky enough to have obtained a GPA scholarship of the first cohort for the bursary. So that uh, it's sort of like an award which are given for those who score 9A plus and above in their SPM. So I was uh, lucky enough to be one of them and also was also able to get a scholarship to study uh, in the UK. So uh, initially, actually, I was not uh, I was not going to go into chemical engineering. I was actually, I actually had a place for biotech uh, for Imperial College London. Uh, but then after asking around, it seems like uh, in order for one to be so-called successful in the biotech industry, you actually need a master's. And at that time, it was only a degree uh, offered by Imperial. So I had a last minute change and then I changed to chemical engineering. And the reason as to, to why I went into chemical engineering out of all the branches is a bit weird as well. So I just asked around and I said, oh, chemical engineering seems to be one of the more difficult uh, branches of engineering. So I just decided to, why not let's try it? So yeah, that was how I came to chemical engineering. Then I'm working in the semiconductor industry as, as we kind so it's a bit unrelated as well. So from, from the point of where uh, you had this aspiration, you had the opportunity to, to undertake uh, your undergraduate or postgraduate with, with, a, with a scholarship, right? Is there a difference in between after you graduated and the reality of the working life and your relation to what you studied and and what what, what do you see? What what do you see is a difference, you know? When when you guys were like 17 and they're like, you know, we kai, uh, I I was like you, I wanted to be a pilot, and uh, you know, so ironically, all four of us wear specs. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, right? Uh I had motion sickness and I couldn't be a pilot. So probably I'll start with Asher in this round. From the aspiration of you doing engineering, asking around for people's advice on what would be a career uh, path, right? Versus the rea reality of uh, what you're doing today and reality of the things that you're doing. Was it very far apart or was it very close to what you thought it would be after finishing your degree, Asher? To be honest, it's, it's, it's quite far because I'm also actually a management trainee. In, in my current company. So mm -hmm. I, uh, instead of, because usually engineer, they will do in more technical aspects and they are quite, how to say, they will just narrow down and focus on one area. So mm -hmm. I actually had the opportunity, I would say luck as well, to be uh, selected for this management training. And I actually had the opportunity to rotate between uh, three different departments. So my first mm -hmm. was as a, you could call R&T engineer mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. terms of uh, 
one of my company's uh, so-called seven generation diodes. Uh, we can also talk about it later on later. So that was my first department, purely electrical. So not related at all to my chemical engineering stuff. My next stint was a rotation in the operational planning and controlling as an industrial mm -hmm. engineer. Uh, at that time, uh, not really as well because it's, it's more to dealing more with planning, optimizing and so on. So uh, also not really related as well. But in, in, in terms of similarity, there'll be uh, because chemical engineering when we do is usually based on a bigger scale because you design a plant, the reactors and so on. I think as an oil and gas, you also be quite familiar as well, I think. So a bit of similarity in terms of having the bigger picture. And now my uh, current department is production. But the thing I'm doing is not the typical sense of production where you go in and monitor to and so on. So I'm actually also luck again as well. There was a project that deals with using uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning when working with our company's internal data scientists to mm -hmm. come up with an algorithm uh, basically for us to prevent uh, so-called, we call them early excursions where unexpected incidents or conditions of the tool which resulted in wafer scrap, which basically your product has some damage and you will need to scrap it and so on. So if you say related, uh, not really, although my so-called uh, master's degree actually uh, did something related to uh, so-called machine learning as well. So mm. it's something to do with uh, using an algorithm to sort of like find out in a reservoir, right? You have you need to find where to drill the well. So you need to come up with some models and so on. So I actually had the opportunity to do that as well. So in terms of similarity, maybe this would be the nearest to what I'm doing now, which is the my current project in the production department. Yes. I see. I see. So, so, so for week, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So yeah. for week, you know, um, like what what is your role now as an engineer? You know, just to give all of us some background. Yeah, my background is uh, more to process. So compared to Asher, mine is the uh, go directly vertical deep. Lah. So it's a uh, I'm a more on a technical side. So what I do now is uh, on the we call it a web process. So it's involve a lot of uh, chemical etching, uh, chemical cleaning. So basically, doing a lot of chemical things which is also in tandem to what I'm studying on my bachelor, mm. which is the chemical engineering, but I'm, I'm more to the biotech industry area. So how so, crucial is uh, what you do in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the process? Like what are the, yeah, I guess what, how crucial is it? And then to simplify things also, you know, what, whatever you do for your, for your company, like what some of the end products? To put it in a layman terms, I think everyone know uh, Franken very well here. So we basically know Franken is doing the cleaning part for the for my for my fab is the, the cassette and uh, the parts lah. So I can take something similar to what the uh, people outside know that 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 is the we are basically it's a more advanced thing. Uh, than Franken is doing on the cleaning side because we have a batch tool, a single single cleaning tools and and each tool serves a different function. You can be a acid base, alkali base, and then uh, a lot of things. So it depends on application. So uh, you know that the only way to produce a clean wafers is by cleaning. 
mm. and then uh, how clean is it is uh, depends on my process. A lot, a lot of it is uh, depends on my process. For example, if I need to go in into the furnace, furnace step before the furnace, uh, they need to do a pop, they need to do a RCA clean. Uh, maybe the outside people can can look at what's the RCA clean. It's a very uh, pronounced pronounced cleaning method. So all these thing, every time a, a layer is uh, being built, before that we need to clean the previous previous layer. We need to do a chemical cleaning. Then that involves my 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 process. That is that is only the front. We call it the cleaning cleaning base. Is only the front end part. And then um, I I'm actually a uh, R and D. So I need to know from basically the whole process uh, from the front end to the back end, and then uh, some extra special special process I also need to cover that. So the cleaning part is only the front end and then uh, the back end part is more to the metal etching part. Right. So, you know, now now I think I, I really want to know how do you all go from something so technical, chemical engineering, all these complicated processes to investing. Like when was the time where you realized investing was important? And yeah, and later on we'll go into how how do you guys look at investments? But first, you know, how do you guys get into investing? Any one of you can start first. <laughs> um, Mine will be longer. Uh, okay, I will go first. So uh, let's talk about, I'm actually only uh, 27. So I started my investing journey is on the 2019 March. That is uh, on the stock part, but before that, I have some unit trust, which is uh, started by my parents. So at that time, they just asked me to uh, open an account with uh, this fellow, and then uh, every month at this uh, auto deduct hundred hundred ringgit lah. Mm. So after seven years, six or seven years lah, you can you guess what's the return? Three percent, four percent. Thing. Uh, I seven years is already every month is a hundred ringgit. I think it's quite a few lah. But in the end, it's only a hundred ringgit. But if you <laughs> did, but if you did the sales charge, all this thing, I think I don't earn anything lah. <laughs> so, uh, my can parents. I, can I take is, a guess? What is the company? The company color is it red in color and white? Red and white. The logo. We shall not name names, but you know. Does it have any yellow color or more red and white color? Or maybe blue. Not the yellow. Yellow is I think it's quite good. Uh the, the red the red and the blue uh, the red and the white one. Ah okay. Oh, okay. okay. Let, let's stop there. <laughs> yeah, so you were going you were saying about, you know, um from there yeah. what what happened? So that's uh, introduced by my mom, and then I'm, not my mom, uh, my mom's friend got them to sign up for this uh, fund. Uh. Then uh, later on, I don't know what, I also don't know nothing, so I just uh, 100 ringgit only, and whatever they say, I just follow. Mm. So I started to cut the fund, is when, when I start to work, also. Yeah, I think it's also on. Uh, early 2019 or something when I realized that after so many years only 100 ringgit that does not make sense uh. even the you don't need a fund manager 
to to earn only hundred ringgit, I can do that by investing in probably say Penta Master. How, how much I returned already for seven years ago? Wow, so, a few X ah, yeah, yeah, for sure, a few X. That is yeah. hundred ringgit is very ridiculous la. So yeah. then I think he also know that uh, I think uh, shy or something. So he did not insist me to carry on to, to, to invest and then I, I told him I, I want to cut and take out the money already and I put somewhere else myself I, I just take, take it and I invest myself I think my return is better and then it's proven up because right now it's already uh, two, I think close to two years already my, my investing so I'm basically a more than 100 so yeah that's my first part of uh, investing is through unit trust then the second part also a lot of things is happening through these years. Lah. So, and then when I also on the 219 period, I, I did, I, I know that I need to invest, but I, I don't know which direction I want to go. So I go, because I live in a Sprang Jaya here. So the Chiling Park, the Sunway area, there is a lot of uh, bank, banks. So I went through all the banks that that can be found there, like M Bank, May Bank, uh, Hong Kong Bank, uh, a lot of bank, Aping uh, Bank. I went shopping la, virtually la. <laughs> shopping for uh, investment uh, tools or funds la. And in the end, uh, I know that I want equities, but I don't know that I can actually go for stock yet. So in the end, I go for uh, the company uh, Bank A. And then I get this uh, East Spring East, East Spring Dynasty uh, equity fund. Ah, also you so, need trust, right? Yeah, also you need trust. Start from there, and then um, I think I only get in serious on the stock market during during early stage of the the COVID uh, the index always a crash time so. There's a time where I, I come in into the stock uh, more, particip participate more. Right. That's the area then from there to, to now. So we talk about your experience later on, but I want to move on to Asher right now, right? How do you get into investing? Right, so um, for me, my uh, journey to investing is a bit similar to Vikai. So uh, it really started to take off when I uh, start to uh, enter the workforce. So uh, the same thing as well. So, uh, but before that, I do I did not have any investment experience or so on. So when I started out, when you start working, uh, you start to know the value of money. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's uh, what most people go go through. So uh, basically, what I did was I, I did some research first, of course, uh, getting to know all those uh, different classes of investment. You have your equities, unit trusts, uh, bonds, and so on. So uh. It was when I only started working, then I started to uh, dabble a bit in investing. So the first stock that I bought was actually ENO, uh, but it's, it dropped a lot after COVID as well. And the reason why I bought is because, I mean, I'm from Penang Island. So their so-called luxury properties, uh, straight ski around the area yeah. is extremely famous. Although it's mm -hmm. not, they are not that famous in not, not so-called peninsula, but in, in other states of Malaysia. So uh, that was when I first started into investing. Uh. So then, yeah, that's all. Not as uh, interesting as Bikai's journey, but yeah. Yeah, I, I've, so, got a, I've got a question to both of you. Uh, and maybe we can start out with Asher this round first. Um, what is the motivation 
for you guys to start investing? That's something that I have not heard in the answer. So, you know, investing is important. What 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 was it that really kickstart? Was it because you came to a realization that you don't want to be an employee? Was it a realization that um, based on what you are being paid and the amount of money you're getting was not sufficient? What, what, was, what was it? Or was it your girlfriend's chasing you to get married? You know, things like that. You know, what there, there must be some personal reason that is different than, you know, our standard, oh yeah, we need to invest. Oh yeah, it's important, you know. Yeah, there must be something personal that, that caused. So Asher, maybe you want to start off with that. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, so I think uh, the reasons, John, that you mentioned just now are, are, are the common reasons that people start to investing and they definitely fall into one of them. So I think the main triggering point is that uh, when I first joined the workforce, uh, because I have a master's degree, I might or might not have a bit, I'm not sure, maybe unrealistic expectations and so on. So, I mean, yeah, first, so looking at my, uh, yeah, so basically, I mean, going to the workforce, then you you would start to realize the importance of money and then that is where I start, oh, I need to have uh, alternative sources of income. So for me, it's not really like uh, to stop working. For me, it's more like to have an uh, alternative source of income so that I mm. can uh, grow basically my capital and my net worth more. Mm. Mm. Right. What about Wikai? Uh, what came into realization is because uh, I know very clearly that working as an employee cannot uh, get me through this uh, cycle of uh, employment uh, or, or simply say get rich by seeing my uh, parents as an example. So they have worked working, I think right now it's already more than 30 years or so. So they are still working and I don't like this uh, this idea of working through my ass and still not uh, making my first million. Uh. So, mm. but uh, they, they actually have some investment on the stock, but uh, they didn't, they auntie uncle, uh, so they only hear for like tips or follow, follow their friend, buy what and uh, buy what, sell what, then something like this, and then they, they get burned and uh, they have very bad experience. So I told my parents that if you expose me earlier, probably I can uh, cut short my cycle of, uh, of, the, of the, I don't say get rich, but I want to be a financial freedom or maybe financial abundance further in, in my later stage. So this is where I, when I start to work, only they, they, they only uh, expose me all this uh, on the unit trust, all this thing, get involved with me. Uh, so then only I know that, oh, actually, I'm actually good on money. And uh, I want to, if I can, I, I told them that you should expose me earlier and then uh, let me decide on my, on my, uh, on my direction. Uh, so, hmm. but that's also a good thing. I, I get to, uh, relax through my uh, bachelor or basically have fun on my bachelor then only I come into workforce and, and face all this uh, reality. Mm. So uh, this is my idea of investing is to uh, be out of this employment circle, uh, employment cycle and uh, in the later, in, so that I can achieve a state that it's uh, financial freedom to abundance level. So, what do your parents think about your involvement in the stock market, both of you? I guess, uh, yeah. you know, Asher, we'll start with you. Oh, for me, uh, 
they're actually quite uh, supportive. So I actually listened to a few of the guests uh, on your podcast. Yeah. So yeah. mine is a bit different. They, I mean, they they are quite familiar in this sense. Uh, they do have some investment as well, but they are more of like, uh, they, it's more like freedom. They, they give me quite a lot of freedom. So they don't really... Uh, Restrict. Yes, yes, yes. So it's just, uh, so basically it's like, so right, uh, right, yeah, or actually you are an adult now, so you have to uh, research, make your own decisions and uh, take full responsibility for what you did now. So that's it. Right. Okay. So I mean like, how about your, for example, you know, sometimes friends and maybe other family members can, you know, kind of influence or at least try to influence, you know, maybe their either they're very supportive of the stock market or they are like very anti-stock market or any form of investing because it's gambling. Do you face anything like that in beyond your family and friends and all that? Hmm. For, for me, not really. So for me, my friends are either uh, those that do not really involve themselves in the stock market. So they are not really like anti, anti-stock market and they're, Another group of friends was one that are extremely active uh, in investing. So some have even uh, ventured into using derivatives, I think CFP and so on. And uh, he made quite a lot of amount. He made he made quite a lot. But uh, no, so far, I would say more on the neutral side. Lah, but definitely none that are against. Yeah. Uh, so how about we then? Uh, basically, my parents is quite supportive. My mom, basically, I'm... Uh, managing my family funds, so she provide me a lot of uh, FT money. She knows that right now the, the FT is very low, so might as well give me to invest. And in in uh, exchange, I do give back a good return. I, I promise them that uh, I I benchmark EPF return by uh, zero point five to one point zero, this kind of area. So, and I did live up to the the promise lah. So then. Then she keep on uh, pumping in uh, more fresh money, so I'm very happy with that. <laughs> and then um, regarding supportive, yeah, they are very supportive. And my around friends around, I think the only one that they are playing is uh, the early stage is the uh, forex. Then the rest is uh, I'm actually the most uh, most into the stock market and participate mm. the most. Uh. I understand. Uh, be- between the both of you um, and you mentioned just now your circle of friends right okay let's start out with uh, personally both of you first before we move on to your friends is that what do you think was your biggest hindrance factor before you ventured into the stock market meaning you guys started off with unit trust or something uh, a lot in a way safer and then what was the light bulb that allowed you guys to overcome that barrier into the stock market maybe we start with Vikai because he had a longer journey in unit trust quote unquote <laughs> what, 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 what was the like was it because of the 100 ringgit return that you said just now and I said screw this you know I'm not paying fees <laughs> I can do better than this or was it because um, am I sure am I not going to lose all my money by going straight in and, and yeah what was it What was it? In the early stage, they mentioned that I, I tried unit trust. So what's what was the 
the the the that factor is I think it's the, the COVID, the COVID when all the uh, stocks is uh, in the sales uh. uh-huh. so I I base at that time I already I think my portfolio I think I have uh, ten stocks, so in in just a matter I think the first two days of the KLCI drop I think I already lost uh, quite a fair bit from from profit to loss, then. Uh, I make a bold, bold move last to to reshuffle and uh, sell all sell basically. I think I sell ninety percent of the stock I left. Uh, only one stock I think Amtech. That time uh, I just leave it there because I think that uh, it's a potential good. It's beneficiary for the COVID uh, they, They're doing a filter something, so I just leave it and then the rest I already cut loss and uh, save my funds from getting lower uh, But later on. Actually, I have a greater UWC, which is uh, come back around very slowly a few times, uh, a few times uh, return back. So that is also a very good learning from uh, from this ex- from this uh, drop experience. So I think that's the the, the biggest the biggest uh, thing for for me to Push. go from zero what? to uh, four. I see. What about Asher? What, what, what was your push in a way? I mean, you studied so many different asset classes and then you found suddenly stock was so interesting. What was that moment? You know? uh, if was there a single one or many? <laughs> it's actually quite hard to pinpoint. Uh, mm. But if you were to answer the question where uh, you mentioned why stocks over over the other assets class, so I think basically that boils down to two reasons. So first, I think uh, it's similar to what we kind of mentioned just now. So for unit trust, uh, you have a lot of fees, little entry fees, exit fees, and so on and so on, and so on and so forth. So uh, and then looking at uh, stocks, you uh, basically they also want to reason all these fees and so on. So the second was that uh, so for stocks, right? So uh, in, I had the understanding also where stocks, uh, I think you can put all your eggs in one basket, so-called, because I mean, I'm starting from a position of uh, having low capital. So it will seem that unit trusts, usually it takes time and usually you'll hear all those unit trust advisors saying, oh, you need to have holding power, you need to hold <laughs> three years to five years. But mm-hmm. for stocks, uh, I see that this is so-called one of the, Quickest way, if you can, to multiply capital by uh, multiple folds compared to unit trust. So that was why I delved into stocks. I see. I see. So how you describe, you know, being at least two years now in the stock market, you know, how you describe the way you all invest? I know you guys are really into so-called tech or semiconductors, but that's more like the, the sectors you invest in, but the style of investing. Okay, so uh, maybe I start first this round. So um, for me, initially when I joined the stock market, I was also looking more for like quick gains and 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 so on, so uh, so on and so forth. So especially during last year COVID, where almost every stock you buy is going to go up. Yeah. So that was that was the initial impression. But over the times, actually gets quite uh tiring and so on. So you need to monitor the stock market daily and so on. So for now, I'm I've turn or transform more towards so-called long-term investing. So it's really like uh, just starting a company and then uh, having faith in it and then holding it until at least it reaches my so-called uh, fair value target price. If not, I'll just hold it. Right. 
Yeah, for me, I started as a, actually I chose a REIT as my uh, family's fund because uh, mm-hmm. I really studied that uh, it's uh, very defensive and uh, the dividend yield is uh, quite good. So I chose a REIT, uh, three REITs uh, to, to be my uh, different kind of REIT than uh, to be my family's, uh, family's uh, portfolio. Then for myself, I think the first stock I, I bought is the uh, Sabra. Okay, okay, okay. And then uh, my entry price, I remember it's uh, 36 cents. I think it's uh, on the very peak of that, that time area and then uh, it come down very strongly later on. Then it re- and I remember that it's rebounded to, I don't know what, what, what price, to 31 cents because of the, I think the bombing of the, the I don't know who go and bomb the, um, something that I, I should, if I know tr- uh, trend trading, I, I would cut loss at that point. Uh, but right now, I'm still holding you right now because <laughs> the position is very small. So just leave it out and see how, see how it goes. But from what I learned till right now, I can easily uh, turn around with, uh, with uh, the fund I have and uh, the average power. So I want to talk about that. Uh, maybe later on. So I'm actually transitioned from a read, maybe a long term buy and hold buy and buy and hold guy and then until COVID uh, crash I become more to a trade trade trend trade uh, person. So this is my uh, transition to right so, now. So that's very interesting about uh trend trading and then you know, Asher is more of the, the so-called long-term investing, right? So um, maybe share with us, based on the strategies that you have used, what are some of the best investments that you've made and more importantly, why you've made them? And then later on, we'll go into uh, some of the worst that you've made and why you why you made them, right? And what do you learn from them, I guess? So so again, uh, Wikai, maybe we'll start with you again. My best uh, return, I think it's, uh, I think everybody is a beneficiary through the gloves when it's uh, during the COVID time. Uh. So that is, uh, you can so call a luck because uh, you, you don't need actually a very technical or fundamental knowledge. You just uh, basically buy, uh, buy at that time and then uh, you probably will gain a fair sum uh, at from March to, to June time. So my first 20% I think through, through, uh, through gloves, I actually uh, profit back what I lost from a March cut loss and then uh, gain another uh, probably total gain I think is a 20% through, through, through only gloves. But uh, that is uh, the only one time, one time offer, so it's not a very braggy thing to, to be proud of because uh, everybody is earning that time. So what I'm very proud of uh, a stock is, uh, I don't say stock, but uh, it's, the, it's also true trade. I have uh, eight consecutive uh, winning trade on this stock and it's uh, Ngam Ngam today is the uh, the one years uh, based on starting, uh, starting on the first trade is on the 2020 last year uh, 
September 1 and then today is the, the last day before the September so now I'm one year so today is my the eighth, eighth consecutive uh, winning trade so although the the, the return is uh, plus minus all the brokerage fees I only earn uh, like 4.6 percent but uh, this this counter is the one I'm truly uh, proud of because I, I basically learn learn from uh, whatever I learn I apply here apply here and it's come out very fruitful la. although it's only four point six percent but but for yep. me it's an achievement. Well, that's, well I, I I I have to ask now what is that counter? You you said that counter. I have to ask. It's, Eight it's, times. It's actually West Spot. Oh okay okay yeah I, yeah oh okay wow okay that's very interesting. All right. So I I I, I actually in I actually uh, put a lot of chart of Westport uh, in the stock pit and then uh, a lot right. of people just uh, just uh, dim, can say dim uh, but uh, it's a boring stock because the the percentage is only like even if you gain it's only probably seven four, four to seven percent so it's not a very uh, eye opening or fruitful to some uh, boring counters but that stock alone. Give me a very consistent winning trade, yeah. so I'm very happy with it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Asher. Hmm. Right. So, uh, for me, yeah, for me, the so-called biggest gain, uh, I do not have any investments that I'm particularly proud of, but for my biggest gains as well, it's also from the gloves as well, uh, last year, same as Vikai. Uh, Where's the investment that uh, so-called that also cost me the most money and which I learned the most would be uh, so-called goal-related stocks. Nah. So last year, there was this talk about inflation and so on. So uh, I did not do enough research and I bought into some goal-related counters in, in, in Bursa. And, uh, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, my position is not that big as well because my capital is, at the same time, not, not a lot. So yeah. But um, actually, before that, just an interesting note also. Is actually, when I first started investing as well, I started to also look for like so-called mega trends. So I actually like, uh, looked into like, uh, ports as well. So I was thinking that, for example, uh, globalization also, you will still need uh, goods to be carried around the world due to the specialization of supply chain. So I actually bought into MMC. MMC. Ah. Yeah, but then it dropped. Okay. <laughs> then it dropped after COVID. Then I also bought into, I also looked into like so-called clean water because I believe that water is also going to be a very uh, important team in the yeah, future. Yeah, so I also tried to bought into some water-related counters in Bursa, also dropped. So... Yeah, so just and I just give up lah. Okay, so the, I, there's so many learning lessons, right? Like, so let's start with the goal one, right? What was your learning lesson? Because I, you know, one of my earliest investments also was goal related. Uh, just to share with you, right? Uh, you know, when Trump won, because I've been investing, I've been investing since 2014, 2015. So when Trump won, uh, you know, I thought that's it for America, right? So I bought gold, <laughs> uh, and it fell like twenty percent, right? So uh, terrible. Um, but I felt a bit better because uh, at that point in time, my dad knew I was really into gold. So he bought me a gold bar. So it's free money. So I can cover my losses that way. You know? so, but in, in your case, what do you learn from that? Uh, for, for me, the, there are a few key takeaways. Huh? The first would be where I, I really need to do my research. But at this time, I was also quite new to the stock market. So more of, uh, how to say, just signal. 
is there something, is this not something related to go? And then just did some very basic research and then just point to it that I was, everyone was in a very bullish uh, sentiment and so on. Okay. And the second is that uh, I feel that investing in commodity stocks, you have to be uh, quite careful because you 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 won't know uh, when the direction will change or how long will it really take to to for the gold indexes go for the price to really reach or appreciate. I think after that gold price actually appreciate, I think reach 2k or something like that. But it yeah, takes some time. Yeah. Everyone got very excited, you know, all the people that have been betting <laughs> for the world to fail suddenly so happy, right? <laughs> so that's for 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 gold, right? And then you mentioned also water and and certain ports, right? But we kind right. So specifically to water you say you're excited about the future of water, but obviously it didn't turn out well for you. So what was your learning lesson there? Mm. Well, that, uh, again, I, I, again, I think also in insufficient research and also maybe uh, not, a, not really having a good understanding of uh, perhaps the different stages, how to say, of so-called this interest in water uh, around mm. the world. So I think in US, I think Howard, they have also bought into water-related assets, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. But in Malaysia, maybe because our water resource is quite abundant, I think we also some of the cheapest water in the world. So maybe this doesn't really translate. I mean, some teams globally... Doesn't Singaporeans really know that. You know, Singaporeans <laughs> okay. They know okay. that very well. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. Yeah, yeah, I want to get back to Wikai on his uh, learning lessons because uh, I think um, Asher did uh, quite uh, quite well in elaborating his, uh, his his lessons or mistakes. But I, I want to dig deeper on Wikai's one. So in terms of your biggest learning lesson, transitioning from REITs uh, into now more of a thematic trade, is this something you think can sustain versus uh, other methodologies? Or, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, definitely no. But be- before I jump into this topic, I actually uh, have a learning cycle through uh, through getting the account. Actually, I got my referral from the Bank A's uh, Unitrust uh, referral to me to to meet uh, Maybank Investment, and and at th- at that time, I still don't know there is a normally account and direct account. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, this that's this need to be a uh, surface up. So this is my first mistake. So the she get me a uh, did not say 
she just elaborate everything about normally account and uh, I just thought that that's, that's the only account but you have direct account. So she got me a nominee account. And then uh, I was thinking why why every time I buy uh, the, the, the fees so so expensive, is it is it is it correct? Until I, I told Asher that every time I, I buy a, a share, I think the brokerage fee is a ten ringgit and then he, he told me that no what uh, you can actually get a uh, eight ringgit or practically is below but uh, the, the most common is eight ringgit. And I start to go and dig. And the second thing I, I noticed that every time my dividend I get why is a uh, two ringgit being deduct and then <laughs> I have a counter eco world. So I only bought like a uh, hundred shares. So and then every time the dividend I think it's only a uh, two ringgit or something, then the, the account eat it lah. So <laughs> I have the dividend but the bank eat it. Then I'm very angry and then I go and dig further. Oh then I already know there is no money and direct. Then after that I I get uh, some some of those are uh, un, un, not performing one. I just leave it on a normally account, and then the performing one I I transfer it into the direct account. It's still uh, on the Maybank. Uh, Maybank I actually have a normally and direct. And later on I go and find uh, M Plus, and uh, right now I got UOB. Uh. So this is my very first learning here. So uh, people outside there, you you really need to go and know direct <laughs> okay. and normally. Okay. I I want to dig deeper on this, uh, and uh and and your, yours is not so bad really because I know some people are given margin accounts that they don't even know if you guys know the difference they're given actually there's there's two types also so between a nominee and a direct there's a margin and non-margin and I know of people who are given a margin accounts and they're trading and then after three days they realize ah need to top up money <laughs> so I kid you not okay but who do you think the, the question is this who do you think uh, whose responsibility do you think it is to educate clients about this if you make it like this then definitely the broker need to educate their client ah. and then luckily enough I didn't get a margin account instead of the nominee uh, she just gave me a collateral account which is like E3 or anything but every time I just use uh, my money to to buy uh, so I, I don't face any uh, later on uh, the, the margin call or, or collateral call or something like this so it's still fine for me okay, okay. yeah because I, I, I'm trying to come up from an angle where what are at least the basic guiding rules for someone to come into the stock market what are the things that they need to do? so it's like checklist A done checklist B done you know and then who is the gatekeeper at each at each station in a way to help the lambs are rather than the lambs being slaughtered, right? <laughs> at least, at least there's some uh, lamb herder or sheep herder to say, hey, okay, okay, follow this lane, you know, kind of thing. So, so that, that that's where I'm coming from. Asher, you you did not have that kind of experience, I'm guessing. Uh, no, I mean, for me, I'm 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 one who prefers to do uh, quite a lot of research. So of course, uh, I also need to find a balance. So be actually, before I st uh, went and started a brokerage account, I actually did so-called my research so I was mm. quite clear that I wanted uh, direct. but it's just due to my personality uh, so I'm one who does more research but on these kind of things not on stock picking unfortunately so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know I actually have this I can't believe it we forgot to even ask these questions uh, John which is uh, yeah. 
how did actually both of you all meet, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, how did you all even right. come in contact, you know, apart yeah. from the fact that you guys are both engineers? How? Uh, uh, perhaps we can start and then you can add on and see our, our different perspective. So for me, uh, so the, the first... Uh, so-called contact with Vikai was actually so-called through his girlfriend. So, uh, because uh, me and his girlfriend, we actually went through, went to the management training, uh, so-called, that's like a selection process. And then okay. there, uh, his girlfriend just told me that, oh, uh, yeah, I have a boyfriend working in, in this company as well and so on. So, but at that time, I did not know it was Vikai. It was only until I joined, uh, joined my current company. And then I saw his girlfriend with him, and then oh, it, it, that that was how we met each other, lah, Basically, I see, I see. Vikai, any any spicy stories to add to that? No, no, no spicy stories. <laughs> Just that I know that uh, through my the girlfriend's uh, comment, Asher is actually a very. I don't know what's the English, but uh, the Chinese, Chinese is called the Xiao the, <laughs> the 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 like like what you say is a uh, high flyers a uh, great. I see. Then, uh, and then when we came into, then when he came into opinion, we are still not so close. I, I can't remember what's the triggering point for us to become close. I think it was stocks, la. I think in twenty twenty, when the stock market, everyone bonded. <laughs> you can see. Yeah. Co- comfort zone, la. Either either <laughs> when the thing go up, we, we comfort each other. When yeah, the thing yeah, go yeah. down, we also comfort each other, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and related to that, and this is the question that MJ and I wanted to ask both of you. Uh, so we know Wikai is attached. Are you attached in a way, Asher? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not. Ah, okay, I'm not. okay. I'm so not. this question is more for, for Wikai first and then maybe for Asher later. What do you think are the qualities you look for in a girlfriend? <laughs> now knowing <laughs> that you uh, have a love for investing, have a, you know, have uh, an objective to meet a certain financial targets. So what, what qualities do you think would be a good spouse? Uh, I actually choose my cosmic. So we only get into together, I think late, uh, or it's early, early my third year. So what's the quality I look at? I'm, ju- I'm actually looking for a mom for my child quality, those kind of very, <laughs> I very jumped, dangerous. Very dangerous. Jump yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the single guy already telling you. <laughs> dangerous man. Continue. They really jump through the the get get knowing part. Probably normally say the nikah or what I don't know the term already. Then they really look for the 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 mother quality part. Because I have uh, not that good experience before my current girlfriend, ah. so so I uh, through that lesson I I know that I need to be a better man to so that I can have a more how should I say better man than uh, equals to uh, more stable or, or more secure future for for the family uh. I see. I see. Do you guys discuss about finance openly? Yes. Uh, she only recently, probably she, she, she can hear this right now. She only uh, being more involved in the finance world uh, when she knows that uh, I'm my portfolio is a 
good return and then I, I'm, I'm actually other than stock I'm actually very into the, the credit card cashback <laughs> so when so when when I first teach her about these things she actually don't have the interest and later on I get uh, more result from uh, from the cashback then she know that oh, actually can can uh, save a lot of true cashback I don't say can say safe, but actually, it's, in order for you to the, to do a cashback, you also need to do very thorough research on which card to 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 go and search and how to spend, uh, how to spend and uh, spend in what category. All these things you also need to do very thorough research. Like like it's just like a, a stock. So that's the second thing I on the on the cashback credit card cashback. I I'm, I'm quite uh, into it and uh, very fun and proud of that area. I see. Do you think when you get married, do you think, uh, I mean, I know maybe your girlfriend is going to listen to this after this. So <laughs> just be, be careful what you say. <laughs> so <laughs> do you think it would be prudent for husband and wife to have two separate accounts or a single account? And Asha, I know even though you're not attached, you, uh, we, we, we're we going to come to you. You're not going to escape this one, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm more to the guy that... Uh, to consolidate my fund, so I will answer based. I will answer. I, I want to be a one account so that she has the visibility of what I'm doing, and then later on she won't question me. Uh, why is why it's become lost? Basically, I'm already indirectly involved her, so uh, she's also responsible for for my decision. Uh, so every time I also got talk and. Uh, she will talk about anything that, that she feel relevant. So probably 80% is on me and then uh, 20% is on her. Okay. Okay. Asher, I know you're single, but for <laughs> potential ladies out there that <laughs> going to cross your path. In theory, what would you do? Yeah, in theory, what would you do? <laughs> I mean, do, do in terms of uh, my criteria, is it? for? Yeah, your cri- one, one is the criteria. Then second thing is... Um, Finances. Would, yeah, finances part. Do you think it's something that uh, you should you should talk about openly? And is that a criteria for you deciding whether uh, this this girl is gonna be your you know your your soulmate? You know. Okay. Okay. So so maybe the criteria part. So um, for for, for me currently, uh, to be honest, there's not much criteria. I always joke with my friend that uh, for me, in terms of like physical attributes, as long as long as I when I turn on the light, it doesn't scare me. That's okay. <laughs> Yeah, but that's a joke part. So in terms of in terms of the qualities or attributes I'm looking for, maybe it's I think someone that can uh grow together with me. So uh mm. can also teach me things and I can also teach her. So it's it's more of like a journey of uh because life is a journey. So we still have for let's say if I'm lucky, perhaps forty more years so uh, perhaps someone that can accompany me and then we can grow together and then just enjoy life together lah, for that mm. and understanding and so on. Uh, in terms of finances, right? So uh, I'm, I am I have the same stance as we can. So I believe that uh, I would I would definitely talk and discuss very openly about our finances. But back to your particular question where whether uh, do I believe that uh, husband and wife should have separate accounts? I actually do 
agree that I would also strongly suggest that, but also that depends on my future spouse and so on. So I, the way I would do it is maybe one consolidated account. So those are the common share expenses and so on. But I believe that uh, each of us should also have at least freedom to use the money that we have earned for our own pleasure. So mm. uh, her hobbies might be different from my uh, so on. So I believe that some separation is good. So yeah. Okay, last question. Um, do you think is it because of our Asian culture that we talk about finances less uh, openly than other cultures? Or do you think, uh, you know, based on... Because uh, uh, Asia, you studied in, in the UK before. I'm pretty sure you've, in a way, immersed yourself in the Caucasian culture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think has to change? Or do you think that it is just an Asian thing that we don't talk about money openly? Or is it similar to what you see in a Caucasian culture? Especially in a family setting. I mean, we can start with your parents, both Wikai and, and Asher. Was it openly discussed about in a family? And do you want to bring that forth into the families that you're going to carry? Right, so, uh, in terms of uh, the so-called Caucasian or British culture, so <laughs> I, I think... Uh, I, I actually think in terms of Asian families, there is more of an emphasis on money. So, I think mm. in terms of the Western culture... Not really, I think, but it's just that uh, you mentioned something that is very uh, so-called uh, right on the point where Asian families, we don't really talk about fam- uh, about money, but I, I think everybody knows the importance of money. Mm. So in terms of my family, we also don't op- we also don't openly discuss about money. So it's usually I am the one who, if I want to have, let's say, advice on uh, insurance or other financial matters, I'll be the one to approach my parents. Mm. Yeah. Okay, okay. Wikai, in your family setting, is that is that the same or different? Because uh, actually, it's more towards me. Uh, I'm the kind of uh, <laughs> kind. <laughs> so, but uh, my mom's also didn't uh, correct me properly, la. So if she correct me earlier, then I will know that uh, it's actually not a good thing to to. To talk to because there is maybe I put it in the sense that there is one incident during during she went to ATM and go and take the, the money out. Okay. Then I then uh, my my sister she uh, she can be allowed to be with her to, to look at the pin number. <laughs> but for me I'm uh I'm uh, forbidden to be near the ATM <laughs> because there is one incident that I go and uh, read out the, the, the ATM, ATM number pin. out loud. La. The uh, pin number out loud. Then from that on onwards, whatever figures or salaries she's having, she did not involve me at all. Only my, only my sister knows uh, quite a lot. I think the early stage, she, she knows her, her salary, but later on when, when she's uh, promoted to high level, then that become more confidential. On, on, then, but I still can get a rough figure from from, from what what is her <laughs> earning la. Then uh, you know she spent ten percent on bag, so every time she buys a new bag, you're like, okay, I know. <laughs> Accounting accountant already. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. talk about the culture on Asian. I think it's very. Uh, I don't know. It's a. Uh, Probably a stigma or, or something. It's very bad to talk about your salary. I don't. I don't know why. Maybe what I think is people is uh, judge on 
how many earnings you are, you are getting, then uh, they, they know your capability, uh, but, but uh, that's a very bad, bad uh, thing to, to go and judge people. So even uh, where I'm working right now, also there is a policy saying that uh, it's, you cannot share your, your salary. Uh, really? Wow. What to, is the to, to, is to your, Wow. To convention, uh, sure. I, I think God, la, I think every time they, they put it private and confidential, you cannot share one. <laughs> but among the close friends, like my baby Asher and me, we know that uh, actually, because we go by a global grade, so we know that uh, we really work for three years, so we know the the, the starting is how and then how the salary to, scale is quite yeah open yeah, yeah, yeah 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 mm. so you can have a smart guess like I would say on uh, on uh, each person's uh, salaries but right. but those people there is a lot of experience one then uh, definitely you, you you cannot guess one understand so I really want to ask you guys right in terms of money beliefs right and it doesn't mm. have to be investing just money beliefs right is there something that you hear out there today it can be anything right. Uh, relating to money that is very popular it's like it's a it's a popular belief but you know you you kind of disagree with like so for example for me it's uh you know uh, buying a house by the time you're 30 or 35 or something like that right uh that's what a lot of people aim for i'm not saying it's bad that you do it but uh the idea that it's necessarily good for uh all or even most people I, I disagree with. So that's like for me. And John's one uh will be, for example, you know, don't use don't use a credit card, but he's a fan of credit cards, right? I think credit cards are very useful. So what are both of your when when both you're here on this a very popular money myth, but you disagree with what is that? Let's start with uh, Asher, you know. Hmm. Uh I to be honest, I can't really think of a uh, so-called any any money beef to my head. So maybe I'll just elaborate more on what MJ you just mentioned in terms of the uh, buying a house by age of 30. So I believe uh, those are so-called statements that originate from a different era uh, in, in at different times and so on. So I mean, with uh, globalization and so on, of course, uh, COVID is a bummer. But if let's say COVID will not to have ha happened, I mean, you can basically just hop on the plane and then you can just fly anywhere in the world. So a house actually ties you down in this age of globalization and also having had the uh, privilege of staying in the UK as well. So I also had the chance to visit a lot of European countries during the summer. So uh, you actually see that this world is actually very big. So buying a house, just tying you by age 30, it, by 30 years old is a very young age. I mean, you, ha you still have a your whole life in front of you. Maybe you could just decide to go to work in Singapore. You could just decide to go to work in any countries you want. So I think, yeah, first, so the, buying a house by 30, uh, I think it might not be that relevant in this age anymore. So in terms of credit card usage, I I am also actually a fan of credit card as in it actually helps me to sort of, like I can use so-called free money for one month, then I just pay it off <laughs> one month later. La. But yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually aim for uh, my goal is to aim for before thirty. I aim for having a house, which is uh, it's already achieved uh, on uh, on this year with my girlfriend. So 
uh, it's a prima uh, or under the opinion state but uh, there is a criteria that mentioned that uh, only the pinning pinning state uh, local uh, fuller they can get a 250k but uh, if it's outside or even a joint name they also i think they, they take the foreign out of the 275k so uh, this asset is actually under my girlfriend name uh, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still fine with it because i still have my first uh, First, first house choice, which, uh, which is uh, I think less than one million, I, I'm still eligible for the, the tax free or this thing. So it's uh, still an investment opportunity for me. So this is the house is a goal for me. So the the second thing is uh, the first thing that I, when you ask other, I think of is the Peter Lim always says uh, this quote is that uh, maybe maybe I generalize it the. Uh, Fund manager, probably the, the name is very uh, classy or things, but in the end, you and me also can be a fund manager. So this is, uh, from what I experience right now, it's uh, very uh, accurate from, from what he say. Uh, so this is the general stigma of outside that probably think, people think that fund manager is earning a lot. Uh, it's uh, profiting like crazy right now, but, but actually, he, he or she maybe is just like the normal earth uh, earning uh, probably better a bit return better return than us but he and she, he or she is still a, a human and they make errors and all these things so well one thing's for sure uh they might do better than us in returns a bit but they definitely do better than us in salary lah, that's for sure <laughs> now um i i, I want to shift now to com- go back to investing a bit and we talk a lot about your past, your mistakes and successes, all that. But now I want to talk about where you see the future is, right? Uh, what yeah. investments do they uh, excite you? What sectors or even specific stocks? We kind maybe you can start first. Mm, I'm actually quite bullish with uh, tech. From, from what I experienced also on a semiconductor, tech is the... I don't say 20 years, but the next decade is yeah. still going to be very strong and it's the thing. Mm. So tech is the thing. Then the sec, uh, with a sub- subsidiary from tech is I'm actually quite uh, uh, emphasizing the cybersecurity part, which uh, Malaysia is, uh, there is no, no very uh, famous or known company yet. But a lot of uh, like revenue, GSL, all these uh, uh, software companies, they are actually, I think, they are doing some kind of a uh, uh, cybersecurity thing because like the revenue, they are doing the tokenization and GSL, they are, they have a lot of uh, encrypted things also. So for me, these two, tech is a big thing. And then the, the second they come down, I'm actually looking forward for the cybersecurity part. Interesting. Asher? Right. So, um, for me, in terms of uh, the so-called sectors that I will be excited about, uh, as mentioned just now, it would be uh, so-called like water, or even due to like food security and so on. So, I believe these are going to be uh, the pressing issues that the whole world would face. So, Resources I mean, la, yes, believe. yes, yes, and as yeah. So, I mean, with climate change coming on and so on, I just foresee that the amount of so-called money or maybe even inflation. Uh, would definitely increase over time. So 
I mean, just to have that sufficient amount of money for you to live the same quality of life, let's say 10 years in the future and now, it could be very drastic. So actually that was one of my so-called worries and also motivation in terms of investing to get mm. an alternate source of income. So uh, in terms of the industry that normally would be semiconductor, since I'm working, uh, working here. So in terms of uh, the companies that excite me, I wouldn't say more of like excite, maybe the correct word would be the one that I am uh, so-called fairly confident in, although I have not invested in, it would be uh, TSMC. So mm. the reason why I say so is because uh, I believe both of you are also invested in TSMC as well. And the reason why I'm, so-called fairly confident in, in TSMC is that if you look at the whole supply chain, right? Uh, although, yes, I believe Vikai also mentioned that he prefers, uh, let's say, fabulous, those with higher profit margins. Uh, but my thinking goes is that because if you look at the whole supply chain, it basically goes from design, uh, front-end, back-end, and then your EMS and so on. So for the design, right, for all the companies, if you have your the most advanced design, you want it to be manufactured, you can only go to two companies. The first is TMC. The other is Samsung. So there is so-called like a, not really bottleneck, but like a gatekeeper maybe that everyone will needs to go if they want their best chips to be manufactured. So that is why I'm fairly confident in TSMC. Once I have capital, I will, I will definitely going to invest <laughs> in, in TSMC. But of course, having said that, uh, there are also a few risks. So perhaps one could be uh, quantum computing. So I'm not too sure how it would change. If it's on a silicon platform, then uh, TSMC would benefit. I think they're also doing research uh, in that area and other would be geopolitical but that is a bit uh, out of our control to be honest yeah and then perhaps one more risk that uh, I, I don't see anyone mentioning I'm also not so sure whether it's valid or not it's actually also a big part on the ESG so because actually front-end manufacturing it uses up a lot of resources it actually yeah. uses up a lot a lot of resources especially rare earth materials yes and, and even though, yes yes yeah, yes so I find it a bit strange that a lot of people are talking like oh, tech companies are very green, very green. But <laughs> if you look in terms of the... They're quite yellow, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, some, you, some people might argue it's a so-called necessary ego or something like that. But I'm not sure how valid it is, but that's just something that sometimes I think about. Like The, water, the resource consumption is actually very huge for mm. fact, extremely huge, but nobody talks about it. And people talk about yeah. You know, I, I want to drill, it, drill in a little bit into semiconductor. And of course, you're not going to spend, uh, we're not going to spend this podcast, you know, talking about data supply chain. I think those who are interested can go and watch uh, <laughs> the stock, the stock one. Yeah. yeah. I so, think how many hours you guys spend on that? Uh? I think at least an hour a and a half or so. At least a couple of hours, something like that. Yeah. Plus Q&A, something was, like that. Around two, some, yeah. somewhere around two hours. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but I, I do want to touch on some of the important bits about the semiconductor industry, which is, you know, it's a very complicated industry. We know that, but, and as usual, right? With anything, uh, any industry that's complicated, there's going to be slogans thrown out there uh, that that um, that sounds very good to the layman, but as experts, you know, it's completely wrong. For example, right now, uh, you know, we know at least five out of 10 Malaysians are COVID-19 experts, right? So <laughs> they, they, they know which vaccine is good. They, they somehow, they know they can tell you mRNA vaccines are, uh, you know, very dangerous, very risky. And, you know, you should be taking something else. They should be taking this special natural leaf, you know, that can cure. Or, or Imervectin. Yeah, Imervectin. Uh, I, I don't know. It's so many, right? I don't really know all. So a lot of people sort of come out with all. And, and, and that's very typical of... Uh, uh, of com complicated industries, right? And I think semiconductor is uh, 
is 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 no different, right? In fact, when I like I tell you one mistake I did was that uh when I first started looking into the semiconductor, I thought, for example, uh KSM and what's the other guy? Uh LSOF was, uh, was the same or of Vitrox was the same because the word test was there. So I said, yeah, same, you know. But obviously, you know, KSM and LSOF are very different guys, Vitrox as well. So in your experience, right, you know, interacting with the Stockbeat community or just the community at large within your friends' family, what are some of the worst things right? you hear yeah. people say about the semiconductor industry you know? You just, want, you just want to take a knife and just, please don't massacre this term, okay? <laughs> maybe I'll start first, we can. Yeah, yeah, sure. So... Maybe not really some words, but sometimes I see some uh, so-called reports, maybe re research reports on uh, on the back-end so-called equipment manufacturers and all those that you mentioned just now, uh, MG. So I usually see that uh, the research, some research houses, they'll say, oh, this is a forecast by SEMI. Uh, equipment spending on semiconductor is going to increase by so much, so much, so much. But if you really look into it, you can see that the majority is actually taken up by the front end part. So where Malaysia is, is in the back end. Uh, it, the figures are a bit misleading because when you look overall, it's dominated by the front end and then you see, oh, there's going to be a very huge increase in terms of... Yeah. Uh, equipment spending. But if you really narrow down, you'll see that, oh, it might not be that accurate. So th these are some, I think that usually, uh, it's quite, usually people use quite generalized uh, statements, sweeping statements to make, but as you mentioned just now, uh, the semiconductor industry in each segment, it has its own characteristics and uh, behavior. So you actually need to at least have some basic understanding of what it is. And then only then you'll be able to decide whether what, people outside are saying uh, correct or not, especially in Malaysia. Okay. Okay. Any, anyone you want to murder when, when you hear a term that is not correctly used? Okay, I'm very aligned with Ashila. So before a person go and talk about semiconductors, he or she need to go and understand what's the flavor of it before, before they, they really talk. For example, we have a very long discussion on topic regarding Who's the beneficiary of lamb? Ah. So there is, I don't know what's his name already, but there is one person that uh, we, me and Asher, just told him that uh, based on facts and what we experience on our site, based on engineer, we think that Franken will be a very, very uh, beneficiary. And we, we did not, uh, uh, how to say, put down on his selection and selection is, is, is actually KGB. Am I correct, Asha? I think it's KGB, right? Yeah, I think I think a discussion revolves around uh, uh, that person. Of course, uh, he's not wrong in saying that KGB is uh, going to benefit from the boom in expansion of construction of wafer fabs. Uh. But uh, what we just, I think, what we can, me, what we wanted to highlight to me is that, yes, that is correct, but uh, you have to look into it that it's sort of like they just set up the infrastructure. It's the, the initial team. capex and infrastructure yes. spend on it, not, yes. the, not the ongoing operations yes. of LAM, because I don't, I doubt that person knows what LAM actually makes. Huh? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and we are just emphasizing, not emphasizing, uh, just, just making a point that uh, KGB is doing probably the, the janitor part and then uh, Franklin is more on the spe uh, specialized thing 
direct, direct, directly involvement to, to LAM's uh, operational things. Uh, so indirectly, Franken will be a more beneficiary uh, players compared to KGB. Uh, but uh, he probably take it uh, on a uh, different way. Yeah, yeah, too personally. And, uh, they, they you guys are so nice, man. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I want to ask a controversial question if you guys don't mind. Uh. Um, because you guys work in this industry and uh, for me, I, I love tech even though I never worked in it. I The reason why I never worked in it, I, I don't know whether I've shared this story with you guys before. I used to work for Comac. It's not bankrupt. K-O-M-A-G. Used to have a, a branch in Penang. They were bought up by Seagate. They manufacture aluminum platers for the hard disk industry. So my first job was actually manning a CNC machine, manning test machines as a 19-year-old, as a technician. And the reason why I never wanted to work again in the semicon or, fact, or whatever manufacturing was that I don't want to see four walls. Because <laughs> that's it. That's your life, you know. That, that was it. But uh, I want to ask this controversial question. Uh, I don't know whether it's controversial or not. Should people who are not from the industry or do not have a love to understand or passion to understand industry, should they just stay out of the industry investing at all? What were your thoughts? I mean, you guys are looking at it day in, day out. Let's just say Wikai, your sister, or Asher, your, your, your auntie, who like probably works in a bank for 10, 20 years, and say, hey, I heard Kobe I can fly, you know. <laughs> so, so, so what would be your advice to people from outside the industry who, who, who may find it a little bit of a steeper learning curve. Hmm. Anyone wants to start? Uh, for me, I would to tell them that for a person that has zero knowledge on a semiconductor, they, they can directly look at the, the financials of a company. It, it, it directly reflect on, uh, on the performance already. So uh, I give some, some very good uh, Example is like uh, that. I really like one is like Antar Master. It's already appreciate how many times uh, and mm-hmm. it can go on a bonus issue. So just look at the uh, balance sheet, financial, uh, financial all these things. They really reflect already. Don't need to don't need to go into deep. Uh, what what this sector is doing? Uh, what this company is doing? All these things. Don't need. This is my uh, advice on the, on the tech uh, for 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 Malaysia. But I see, I see. Mm, for me, I think uh, it's, it's quite a tricky question to answer whether for <laughs> someone who is uh, not in this industry, whether they should That's stay. That's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> the questions are never easy, right? <laughs> okay, all right. So perhaps my, my opinion is like this. I mean, uh, actually, it, 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 would, it would actually be just a personal decision but I, I would say that for those who would like to step into this uh, to invest in the semiconductor industry and do not have any background, I think uh, it would be great if uh, you could just ask around your friends. I believe you would definitely have some friends who at least work in this industry, either back end or front end, and just to get uh, just to get some basic knowledge of what this industry is about. Uh. Because uh, if you really want to invest in the semiconductor industry, I think you would actually need to look globally. So just within Malaysia, uh, it's not, not to say not good, but there's a much bigger world out there. Once you look yeah. into the whole semiconductor, then you will see that, oh, there's different dynamics at different sectors. And is it perhaps uh, some other companies globally, they are actually a much more attractive uh, proposition compared to Malaysian companies in terms of their position in the value chain, in terms of what they're actually creating and in terms of their technological advantage and so on. 
Yeah. Probably to add on, probably the advice is more applicable to uh, the younger age like us. Then, but then for the auntie, uncle, they, they always ask back, hey, you tell me so many, uh, what's the counter to buy on a busa? And <laughs> <laughs> it will be coming to, to my question that uh, if I do, don't want to spend my time to talk about the history or, or the macro level things, then I directly tell them that uh, you look at the financial one, then, then mm-hmm. it will be, uh, you save my time and his or her it's, time also. Yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I like both your perspective, to be honest. One is uh, you highlighted that regardless of how, whatever niche or technology, because technology, most people think it's a moat. Actually, it's not. But, you know, uh, we guys uh, insight about if you find a company, regardless of what niche or what technology they're in, if they know how to manage the company, well, it will show in the finances. And then I like your point, Asher, especially about global, because I think Malaysia is too small of a market, even comparatively to, to the global semicon industry. You know, you buy... You buy one uh, EUV machine is probably one hundred or hundred fifty of a uh, Vitroxus AOI or AXI machines, <laughs> just one, right? So I, I'm glad you guys brought up this point. I think the reason why I'm asking is because in Malaysia, if you see those multi baggers, especially uh, uh, those that have gone up by a lot, usually it's either glove, semicon, yeah. and I think that's where the attractiveness, you know, kind of like pinches people to go towards that but at the same time I, I'm just trying to give uh, people a framework to say what are the what are the things that you need to be cautious about when you come in because you 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 are you are at a disadvantage compared to you guys you know you get what I mean I, I, I'm trying to come out from that angle uh. yeah MG um, you know I, I really love your point about financials because financials is really a, an equalizing factor right you know um Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, the company has good margins, good growth, know that. Do I need to know that how to build a, uh, an AOI machine to know that b is good? Yeah. But even up to today, you know, I, I, I'm I not an investor, sadly, of uh, B-Trox, even though Same we've met management with... Um, um, tui, yeah. You know, in Hokkien, we say um, tui. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, were, we were looking at it at like, uh, I think, what was it? Three bucks, four bucks? Three, three bucks there. pre-split, ah. Uh? Pre- yeah, so we're just okay. looking at it there like, hmm, interesting. No, I think it's, no, 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 I think it's uh, split adjusted, split adjusted. Split adjusted. Uh. Still, that was three years ago and it's a 4X one. Now it's like 20, right, I think. Yeah. So we just look at it, hmm, interesting, uh, I never buy. So the, your, your point is great, right? Your point is really great. Now, I want to, I'm very, I've always been interested. In fact, we have a research team where we discuss about stocks a lot and um, we talk a lot about Penang, right? Because Penang is where all the action is. And, you know, Lam Research, there was the news recently there. And then there was that South Korean company coming to spend like a few hundred million US dollars. So, specific to Lam, let's start with Lam, right? You know, you mentioned just now the difference between Franken and Kobe, right? Franken is going to be more operations related. Kobe is more startup related, right? In terms of uh, KGB, how- not Kobe. KGB, sorry. KGB. So, um, what are some of the either the counters or the, even the trends that will rise out of LUM research in your view? And you guys clearly have some thoughts on this, so I like I I love to hear them. Uh, I will comment first. So I have I have can you hear me right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've directly worked with uh, experience with Franken, so I'm very very confident that they will be a beneficiary 
So the rest, like the Kobe or this thing, I only get this info later on uh, when uh, Tobik share or Rondi mentioned it, then, then we only know that, oh, Kobe is uh, just a few blocks on uh, lamp, then, then actually they are they have been uh, supplying parts or things to, to lamp uh, quite some time. Uh. Then only I realized that, then only the share price appreciate very uh, strongly, then only then relate back. So, uh, I only know Franken, uh, to be honest, and the rest are okay. really... Uh, oh, uh, uh, sure. Um, for me, I also do not have specific companies, although I believe that some so-called companies that are related to LAM research has been so-called unearthed on StockBit, I think by Rondi as well. But I think uh, the first thing that we have to know is that the LAM research so-called manufacturing facility in Batukawan is mainly for SM assembly of uh, machines. So they are mm. basically just uh, assembling the parts into machines and just uh, shipping it out. So if you look from this perspective, right, definitely if suppliers within Malaysia they are able to meet their requirements, they are able to supply them these so-called these parts made from steel, definitely they would be beneficiaries. So that is just my thought on it. So in terms of the other related companies, might or might not be, because I'm not too sure what is the extent of operations of them at Batukawan, but mm. generally, definitely those that are able to supply metal parts that, yeah, that basically fit their requirements. I so that's uh, one thing to add on. Uh, yes, yes. After hearing uh, what Asher mentioned, I think probably Sam Engineering will be beneficiary because mm. uh, Sam is actually quite close to Batukawan also. And uh, and then uh, Asher pinpoint that it's actually more to assembly, but uh, I beg to differ because I try to dig up uh, from my uh, lamb's uh, uh, counter, friends, uh, friends, uh, or, or my uh, vendors. So they, he did mention that the Batukawan uh, operation is quite big and uh, it potentially the packaging assembly, uh, assembly part is confirmed, yes, but he mentioned that it's quite big and uh, probably it will be involving the, the more to the front end part also. So uh, looking at the size, I think uh, it's what, it, what, what he says is accurate. Uh, but unfortunately, he's stationed now in uh, Singapore and then uh, he recently tried to link me to the Batukawan lamb vendor of his, uh, his friend. Uh, but uh, he has concern and uh, unfortunately the link is... Uh, right now so I, I see need to take up more yeah because lamps product are quite diverse as well you've got pvd cvd polishing <laughs> you name it ah it's like you know <laughs> all the yes. end from etching to cleaning polishing so i you do not know until probably they run operations that you you see the the either the depth or the breadth of their their product offering right? because I always feel when company correct me if I'm wrong, but I always feel when companies establish uh, a base somewhere like in Penang or whatever, it is to serve the ecosystem around them. Like, and and is is that something that you guys see in Infineon? Because uh, when you have vendors that serve you, uh, they generally try to focus on the area around them first before going outside. Is that what you see from your experience, both of you? Yeah, talking to my experience because I'm working more on process, correct? They, one thing uh, we look on the vendor side is that uh, how supportive are them to, to our tool or process. Mm. So if 
they they station here, this will become a plus point. I see. Okay. For us to select uh, their tools. Uh. Because anyway, your processes run 24-7, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Asher, anything to add to that? Oh, yes. Um. So, yes, you, you, you are correct that usually there is going to be like an ecosystem because uh, front-end fabs, they are not easy to build and also not easy to maintain as well. So actually, I, I would say the the thing that started this so-called front so-called mini front-end cluster around the northern region would be actually the establishment of Sutera. Mm. So it was because Sutera came in, then uh, I believe uh, other front-end, once the vendors start to come in and support the ecosystem is built up, and that was why uh, we have also Infineon there. La. So maybe in terms of the vendor support and so on, right, this is a bit tricky. I will try to uh, give my general thoughts on it. So basically, yeah. it depends as well, right? So uh, it depends whether you are a foundry or a IDM, an integrated device manufacturer. Device. So for foundry, your objective is basically just to produce wafer. And so like for example, for Sutera, because they are standalone, I believe they will have to either two ways to obtain equipment. First is either through vendor, like what you mentioned, a new tool, or they can get it so-called on the second-hand market, nah, refurbished mm. tool. So their market is actually quite hot as well. Or yeah. refurbished tools. So, for example, if you have other players, like for example, TSMC, which have several foundries, or like for other IDMs, they actually have the options of transferring tools mm. from other fab. Uh, so, in that sense, right, the vendor might not actually be a direct beneficiary because they can actually transfer tools between the fabs, right? So, that is also another thing that we need to consider. Uh. So, perhaps for them, I would say their main target would be perhaps in the China or or Taiwan region where they are yeah. like really building up new fabs. But that's yeah. my thoughts on it. Mm. No, that, that's good insights because uh, especially when you speak about TSMC rejigging their, rejigging their tools, right? It's actually mature nodes. They try to move around and then uh, where the more, what we, uh, for the lack of a better word, cutting edge, they may start with a very small scale and then once you achieve the necessary yield, then only they start moving them into bigger plants. Uh, but uh, I want to touch a bit about Silterra and it's uh, something that um, I'm particularly keen on because uh, they, they've been in a way stagnant, in a way uh, trying to find their footing. Uh, you know, they, they were they were good in the golden days, I think in the, 19, the early 2000s and when they were doing work for Apple drivers and all that. But today with their turnaround and with their new capital injection from your lenses of both of you and being so close to the ground what do you think of a probability of success that they will manage to do this turnaround uh, and obviously it's not a buy or sell call but it's just you know from yeah. your perspective as industry insiders what 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 are your thoughts on that hmm, okay perhaps a little disclaimer here is that uh, because both we and me we are only like around three years in this industry there are definitely a lot of other experts out there sure, so sure. yeah but just uh, in terms of our thoughts is that so maybe in terms for a fab for, for fab or foundry to be successful there are basically uh, a few key things to to take note of i think it's the same for any manufacturing facility as well so first we have the yield which basically okay. in the wafer the percentage of dyes that are that can be that are saleable to the customer because this uh, impacts two things. First, uh, your average cost per chip. So the higher your yield, the cheaper it is. So yeah. usually newer nodes they have much lower yields, but as time progresses, they will move on to better yields, and that's when you see the 
uh, margins on this uh, new node still increase uh, with better yields. Another is the uh, equipment. We have a term called overall equipment uh, efficiency. Basically, it's how much your equipment is being utilized in a, mm. in a day. So I believe uh, previously, perhaps Utera CEO mentioned that he doesn't really like the word uh, fat capacity utilization. I think something like that. <laughs> so yeah, so I think the reason for that is because uh, actually to be exact, when we talk about the capacity of fat, we actually talk about layers, the capacity in terms of layer starts per month or layer starts per month. Why? Because when we do a fat right, the bottleneck of a fat is the lithography process. So the key thing here is to make sure that your lithography tools are always fully utilized. That is mm. how facts are designed. So to be more accurate, because different technologies, you might have different layers depending yeah. on the complexity. So if you tell me that you are able to produce, let's say 40K papers per month, uh, Yes, it's a rough estimation, but it is not really accurate. But if someone tells, okay, my fab is going to be able to produce, let's say, a 400 uh, layer starts per bit. So that means that uh, they will be, that is a more accurate capacity of the fab. Nah, I believe mm. that is my own personal opinion. So in terms of whether they can turn around or not, I think uh, I, I have only very general information, but uh, we will wait and see. But I think their new management team should be okay. But to be honest, I really can't. I also do not have much to comment yeah, no, on Yeah, no worries, no worries. Yeah. I just wanted to get both your thoughts. Uh. Vikai, you have anything to add on that? Uh, we'll talk about on the human resource part. Uh, actually, ah, yes, please. talent is what uh, semiconductor industry really look at. So it depends on Sutera whether they can uh, attract talent from the neighboring. Have they started pinching you guys already? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'll, I'll tell I'll tell Fidawas are uh, the CEO. Okay, <laughs> you guys are available. I'm just just kidding, just kidding. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. That will be the if they manage to start to attract a neighboring to a talent. That will be the first indicator that the company is uh, progressing well. Ah, in my opinion. So uh, then the later on all these uh, tool tool coming in all these capability it will be secondary. If you don't have the workforce. The, the the man to to go and uh, operate all these tools basically it's just a tool it cannot come out with uh, simply it cannot be if it uh, change to a 300 uh, platform uh, uh, fully automation one then uh, they can uh, they can operate based on a very less uh, human uh, but the talent is what affect or a lot of areas not only the other but a lot of areas. So if they can get the talent, neighboring talent or outside talent in, then it's a right now they are pre. Uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I'm I'm just emphasizing that uh, they can attract talent. Then uh, it's a positive sign already. Are they predominantly on two hundred mm now? Actually, yes, I believe so. I believe yeah. so. I yeah. believe so. On the man's side. I think. Yeah, more on the MEMS and also the power modules, if I'm not mistaken, for and mainly on 200mm la, rather than a 300mm node. La. Yeah. I believe they should be should be 200mm, la, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not too sure. But maybe just uh, some comments to what we can mention as well. So yes, talent is an extremely important uh, factor in determining the success. La. So you can see like, for example, TSMC. So you can see that SMIC, I believe they are also uh, try, 
they also hire talents from TSMC, but you still see that there's a significant gap between yeah. uh, their, their so-called capabilities. Yes, capabilities. So as, as what we kind of mentioned, it's very complex. So another way to think of it is something like this. Let's say you managed to buy a tool from them. So then just say that, okay, this is what our tool is capable of doing. But then it actually depends on the foundry or the fab itself, the engineers we need to really familiarize themselves with how the tool behaves because you have yeah. different processes. So those are the knowledge that uh, are quite propriety and it's not easily transferable as well. So one of the reasons why TSMC is so successful, one of the, is also talent. And I also heard that the way how TSMC uh, so-called one of their success factors I've heard is that uh, when they want to open a new fab, right, they make sure that the management of the current fab is able to, how to say, groom a new batch to replace mm. them and then the management will then go over to the new fab. So they have sort of a system of management success, succession. Mm. So that's why they are so successful. Mm. Understand. Uh, that's, that's pretty good insights. Yeah. MJ, you had a question? Yeah, no, actually I just want to know like apart from whatever is happening with Sutera uh, and Kobe, like, are there certain things that are maybe a bit more under the radar that is happening in Malaysia, especially in Penang, that, uh, you know, like, you know, just now I mentioned the, the South Korea one, uh, you know, some of these events that are happening that you think that can be quite exciting for certain stocks, for example, are you seeing any trends and or even uh, on the ground, you know, what, what's your feeling right now? To be honest, uh, I only know all these uh, medium to large cap, uh, already known, renowned, uh, famous company than that I know. Then uh, all these uh, on the ground, like these, all these things, they, they, I think Peter, uh, Peter Lim, they, they have it on, or Peng Lam have it on their, their profile. But I, I still can't really understand or I didn't go, I did I don't, I don't have the opportunity to be invited to, to go and really uh, deep, deep dive on your production, then uh, I'm, I'm missing this part of uh, the, the opportunity. Like if I can gain this part of the opportunity to, to go and look all these, uh, to look at all these small companies uh, on, the, on the product or, or process, then maybe I can find out uh, better on, on this uh, potential next multi-baggers uh, uh, company. Mm. Are you sure? Mm, I, to be honest, I actually do not have an, an answer for that. But uh, I would just like to add on that because you mentioned that the South Korean, I think the name is around like Simitek or something like that. Yeah, I might Sim, be wrong. Simtek. S-I-M-M-T-E-C-H. Yeah. yeah, in Batukwan. But there's also actually another Austrian company which is also setting up its back end in Kulim as well. Back so, end, not front yeah. end. No, no, it's back end as well. So also assembly. So in terms of uh, the companies that could benefit, I'm not sure. Maybe those that are able to provide consumables or maybe our testing equipment manufacturers. But to be honest, I have no idea. I see. Right. I see. I see. Um, probably a follow-on question to that is that what do you think uh, and um, are the policies that enable uh, these companies to thrive? Uh, one from probably an angle of talent. Uh, are they paying well enough? Uh, are they getting enough grants uh, from your perspective? Secondly is that, do you think Penang and the working culture there is conducive to build an ecosystem that can rival you know, countries like Taiwan? Because like, 
if you look at uh, what me semi uh me technovation is saying they're not even setting up their r d center in malaysia they're setting it up in taiwan and korea because they said there's just not enough talent to do that so in a way i i read it from another angle in the sense that malaysia is good only for the manufacturing and assembly but you know you want to do top-notch r d is, is not that what, what what are your thoughts on that actually Okay, um, we can do okay. it. I go first. Go first okay, all right. So in terms of setting up the uh, talent-wise, because I've also been in the workforce for not, not too long. So in terms of talent, I believe Penang has actually a, quite a talented workforce. But uh, in terms of like what you mentioned, me technovation, because the semiconductor itself is very niche. So I'm not too sure if the expertise they are looking four can be found in Penang or not because each of mm. these players have their own niche so for that I, I, I can't really comment in terms of talent part uh, we, we do see a very uh, clear trend where because in Singapore you have front-end fabs uh, yeah. global fabrics so that is actually it's quite common to see people going over there talents <laughs> and so on due to, due to the pay and so on so in mm. terms of the salary wise I would say generally Penang companies would pay slightly higher, maybe due to the higher cost of living and so on, compared to like maybe other industrial parks and so on. I see. Mm. I see. I see. No, I, I mean, uh, also just, just on that before we move to Wikai is that, so you've got Sutera, you've got probably Infineon and I don't, I don't think Intel does uh, wafer fab in Gulim, right? There's more nope. of a assembler and okay. So you've only got, or probably XFAP in Kuching. Lah. Yes. <laughs> right? Probably XFAP in Kuching. So you only got three guys who are doing front end and a little bit, if uh, not, I'm, I don't mean to be condescending, but a little bit more backwards or back, uh, uh, backward. More technology. mature notes. Lah, I mean. uh, more mature. Ah, yeah, that's a better word. More mature notes, right? Where do you see the opportunities for Malaysians to develop that kind of talent unless they go overseas? What mm. are your thoughts? I mean, um, even if you wanted to, even because... You don't build this overnight, man. You build it from somewhere, right? So what are the opportunities of Malaysian to, to learn in a way? Understood. Yeah. Uh perhaps okay. So in terms of front end, we actually have a few others. I think Ostrom as well, but they are doing LEDs, but yeah. they are so called front end. Then we have some Mimos, I think it's the government, something yeah. like a Mimos. So there I think there are seven associations associations but uh, i can't really remember all of them in yeah. terms of front end so in terms of uh, developing talent you are correct but i I, be, uh, I can only speak for my company as of now so we are actually setting up we have already set up a r d team so uh it is going to be focused on power modules so uh Infineon uh-huh. is quite famous for their power modules used in your teslas and so mm-hmm. on so yeah, in yeah. your wind turbine solar inverter so there's actually an r d team set up uh within here. And I believe MIDA has also been very supportive. So they have been giving grants to companies who are also investing in R&D as well. I, I so see. I think Sutera also has its own ex- expertise in terms of like silicon, silicon photonics and so on. So they, they do have their R&D team. But in terms of if you really want to venture into more advanced nodes, because it's a whole new world, we are going to play with the latest machines, the latest tools, the latest challenges in this industry. How is it going to involve viewable have to go overseas. Understand. <laughs> Understand. Yeah. Yeah. Wikai, you got anything to add to that? Uh, simply says our government policy is still uh, lacking in uh, resources. Okay. So I don't see they have uh, 
any big uh, initiative will be uh, will be initiated by the government. Mm. So okay. I don't think the making a into the advance note will be a priority for for Malaysia instead of they will probably make 5G uh, working. So this kind of things will be the priority. So, so, so you feel it is a govern in a way gov- somewhat a government led initiative lah, like what Taiwan or Korea is doing lah. Okay, okay. Yes, great. Perhaps I just an interesting tidbit as well. So, uh, actually for for Infineon, we actually had one Malaysian on the board of the sea suits. I think when Sutera was, uh, set up lah. So I've read mm. some articles at that time, uh, saying that uh, perhaps if I'm not sure, perhaps at that time they mentioned that if they had managed to so-called hire these local Malaysians, which are very top management of all these semiconductor firms. Perhaps it might be a different case for Sutera, or perhaps different focus and so on. But government incentives are really, really important. But mm. I don't think Sutera will be able to go to more major notes, uh, purely just due to the capital expenditure needed. I don't think yeah. it's feasible. Yeah, it's fair point because uh, it's not just the talent, it's also the capital capital being pumped in. Uh. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether you guys know, I'm pretty sure you guys know because you're in the industry. You heard of this guy called Tan Lip Bu? From, no, it's from? Cadence? Heard of this? Uh, yes, I know Cadence, I know Cadence. Uh, EDA, the CEO right? was actually a Malaysian. Mm. Yeah, so I, I'll just give you an example of uh, a Malaysian-born entrepreneur, uh, educated, uh, obviously educated overseas, and uh, in charge of one of the biggest EDA firms in the world. Uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And you guys know how, I mean, you guys are from the industry, you guys know how big Cadence is. Uh. So, yes. yeah, yeah. So he's Malaysian. Just to, just to give you an uh, interesting tidbit as well. Mm-hmm. MJ, back to you. Uh, I've, I've learned so much, uh, actually. Just, uh, actually, I... I I feel like I have to rewatch a stock bit uh, <laughs> again and again, right? Yeah. And then I have to like uh, do a, you know, we have a private session for you. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, that would be fantastic. And then yeah, John yeah. will John will test me, you know, he'll be like, give multiple <laughs> choice question and after I write essay. Uh, but you know, it's been, it's been really, really fun. And I just want to close, unless John, you have more questions. No, no, no. I'm almost but done. I, I, I want to close with this, right? I know you guys, uh, have only invested two to three years, but what I can tell you is that uh, having investing invested slightly longer than you guys, two to three years is actually a pretty long time because what happens is a lot of people keep up very quickly, right? Um, right. The fact that you're still around seriously, I don't. People, some people say they invest for like twenty years, right? What they actually mean is they buy a stock, it went down a lot for fifty percent, ninety percent, they're still holding. That's what they call by they're still. Uh, investing uh, after 20 years and I know that's not really the case for you guys or at least I hope it's not the case for you guys and I I want to leave uh, you guys with this um, question right which is what are the biggest absolute biggest learning lessons that you you guys have learned and you guys even though two three years you know for me it's a long time and what advice will you give to the person entering the market right now and also any money tips right for people entering right now probably i start first so my biggest learning uh, that i get from investing is uh, i joined stock pick for to be really honest 
Rondi, uh, do you hear that? Rondi. Shout out Rondi. <laughs> okay, sorry. Back to you, Ikai. <laughs> by, uh, I don't know how, I can't remember how I encounter stock. I think it's on a Facebook something uh, sharing from them. Then I go and look, look, uh, look at StockBit and register for it and, and, and try to look for, for information inside. Uh. Then later on, I only found that care I, it's like a drug for me cannot be live already. Topic is the Your Facebook part of my <laughs> part of my life already. So I'm very lucky on my investing early stage that I joined Topic because later on I uh, someone pulled me in into uh, I think uh, all of all of us are inside there inside the, the mini stock bit previously there is the different name but other then later on we changed it into the mini stock bit because all the members are basically from stock bit. That stock bit, uh, mini stock bit changed my investing and trading uh, strategy a lot because uh, later on through the mini stock bit, I, I, uh, I form. It's not I form, but uh, somebody pulled me out into uh, another group of uh, I think how many person. Five person, including me, or six. I, I can't, can't remember the exact. But, but it's a small group, and that group basically it's my uh, my brothers lah. So that group uh groom me a lot and provide me a lot of uh, aid, financials or being a uh, sharing advising from them because that group they consist of uh, two other young engineers and one is a doctor. I think it's a close to million million status already. Another one is a banker. So I really to them. I hope you you guys will see. I, I really love you guys. You, you guys are my other after the mini story. Then the second one is uh, you are my uh, family already. So wow, that's my. Uh, you need to find. Simply say to somehow you need to find your own skin uh, or your own skin or uh, your mm. person. Then, then you will thrive. Uh, I, I, I don't dare to say longer because I only joined, started very early, but I do hope that this group of us can grow together and achieve what we want later on. Wow. My How are you going to beat that, uh, Ashok? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, MJ, just, just for me to uh, repeat your two questions to make sure that I still have them in my mind. Yeah. So yeah. Said, your first question would be what? Uh, the biggest lessons learned throughout my investing journey, right? That's your yeah, first question. Right. So, yes. Okay, and the second is about uh, my perspective on money, or is it something? No, like it's that? more what you would tell someone just entering the market, right? So they're kind of the same question actually. Ah, okay, all right. So for that, I I definitely agree with you. Kind, I think uh, investing is actually fun if you do it right, and you definitely need to have, uh, you need to have information from reputable sources, or you need to have uh group of maybe friends or trusted person. So I believe like what both of you have been doing, John MJ is extremely good. I'm actually a fan of both of you guys. I you. listen to a podcast. So it's a privilege for me and we kind to be on here. I never thought that we'd be able to hear our voices on it. So I believe uh, those that entering invest the stock market definitely should need should look to guys like you. It's not be uh, like both of you, which really give uh, credible information. I believe that is a very uh, important thing to do because investing in stock market is sometimes not just about the figures you really uh, you need to 
understand the company, understand what it's doing, what is it role, what is its role in the whole world, and so on. And it's not just merely like uh, buying shares or you're just seeing the figures jumping up and jumping down. So I think the biggest lesson to summarize that, uh, find a group of friends or get reliable sources of information for you to start your investing journey. If not, you will get disillusioned and then you will just drop off and say, oh, stock market, uh, not for me or something like that. Uh-huh. I believe that is the biggest lesson. Nah. All right, man. John, do you have a... No, I, I, I can't top that already. That's that's yeah. that's the best to end already. Actually, yeah. actually the whole objective of being you both you gone so that you can say that, you know. That's, that's <laughs> the how much no. how much how much do we pay you? I don't know. Just kidding. The, the money the money is in, guys. The money, the money is, is in. in really. You know, uh, it's we really do it for the views. Yeah, yeah. do it for the views. All right, like man. and subscribe. Yeah, like yes. and subscribe please yes thank you <laughs> you know you know it's been uh it's been quite enjoyable uh this session and you know i i am looking forward to a part two right the next the next uh, part no 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 uh, mj you're not looking forward to a part two you're looking forward for a visit where they yeah, host yeah. us in penang yeah yeah Berlin. correct correct yeah and visit, if you can get the factories, you know inside access into the factory yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what i'm looking I want to talk to the lung research uh, militia. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I want to see. I want to see the CBD machine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, guys. For those who are listening, I hope you enjoyed the, this podcast. I think it's a it's a great peek into, not necessarily some uh, someone who's very typical of our guests. You know, uh, veteran 10, 15 year experience, but also not someone who's totally new. Someone in between. Someone you know still learning. Two people are still learning the ropes. Still very. Um, you know, a- ambitious in terms of understanding the stock market and, and, you know, learning the steps to achieve their financial goals. And I hope you've uh, gotten some inspiration from this uh, to start your journey or to maintain your journey, right? Maybe you have uh, lost your way, but, uh, you know, it, it, maybe you need some inspiration. I think these couple of guys are, are that. And, um, you know, John, uh, part two, CEO of Lam Research in Penang and uh, Chakwetia in Penang. Okay. Yes, but you know, to be <laughs> of, to be fair, I go there quite often. That you know, I pretty much know where uh where, where <laughs> the best food. Yeah, so. No, no, Chakwetia only. The rest, <laughs> the rest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard really sad that 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 old lady now uh you know her store closed down already. The, I ate some, is it near the Kapoksi yeah. Temple? Yeah, is it? I, I can't remember. Yeah, but it's that auntie, la, you know, that mm. auntie by the roadside. Quite sad. But anyway, uh, one for another podcast. And guys, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, see you in the next podcast. Bye. Thank you. See you. Thank you, Pharaoh. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you.